Welcome to the Frontline Defenders Rights on the Line podcast. Today we will put the spotlight on Turkey, discussing the challenges faced by human rights defenders working on gender issues in light of the decent withdrawal of Turkey from the Istanbul Convention. Our guests include Aslihan Tekin, an EU representative and alternate board member of the European Women's Lobby Coordination for Turkey, as well as Yildi Star, Media and Communications Program Coordinator at Kaos GL, an organization which aims to advance the rights of the LGBTI community in Turkey. Our guests will shed light on the pushback against gender issues in Turkey and how the withdrawal from the Istanbul Convention impacts women and women human rights defenders and LGBTI rights defenders and the LGBTI community. On the 20th of March 2021, much to the shock of many, Turkey announced that it was pulling out of the landmark Council of Europe Convention on Preventing and Combating Violence Against Women and Domestic Violence, better known as the Istanbul Convention. This important convention was opened for signature in 2011 in Istanbul, and in March 2012, Turkey was the first country to ratify the convention. So the drawback from the convention is therefore both a step back for the progression of human rights, but also a disappointment and vulnerability for women and human rights defenders in Turkey. The Istanbul Convention contains important mechanisms of protection for women at risk of and exposed to violence, especially domestic violence. It is an international gold standard for combating violence against women. In recent years, Turkey has gained attention for its high rates of gender-based violence and femicide. According to UN Women, 4 out of 10 women in Turkey are exposed to physical or sexual violence. 48% of girls in Turkey married before the age of 18 are exposed to physical violence. And in 2019, 447 women were murdered, mostly by intimate partners and relatives. Gender stereotypes, patriarchal norms, and cultural attitudes and practices all contribute towards this culture of gender-based violence and femicide in Turkey. Women's rights movements have since grown in Turkey. And as more women raise their voices and demand their rights, so does government raise its defenses. While 10 years ago, ratifying the convention was a progressive move, In the last few years, there has been a marked shift and regression by the Turkish government towards human rights. The government has pushed back by cracking down on protests, limiting press and media freedom, and targeting human rights defenders nationwide through judicial harassment, arrest and arbitrary detention, travel bans, and more. A lot of the pushback towards human rights is a response to human rights defenders speaking out against corruption and human rights violations. However, the marked pushback on gender rights and LGBTI rights defenders has been justified by the government on the basis of wanting to prevent movements and ideals which are in contrast to, quote-unquote, traditional family values and morals. State officials have said that the Istanbul Convention promotes contrasting and conflicting ideals referring to gender equality and LGBTI rights. The withdrawal from the convention has led to further backlash against gender and LGBT rights defenders, 
not only from police but from the public as well. On that note, we chat to our first guest, Yildi Star, who will shed light on the situation of LGBTI rights defenders in Turkey, as well as the impact that the withdrawal from the convention has had for the LGBTI community. Welcome, Yildiz, and thank you so much for joining us today to share your thoughts and insights on LGBTIQ issues in Turkey, as well as the withdrawal of Turkey from the Istanbul Convention. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about the work that Kaos GL does um, before we get into this very important conversation? Hmm. Uh, this is Yildiz Star. I am working for Kaos GL. Uh, Kaos GL is one of the uh, oldest uh, LGBTI organizations in Turkey. Uh, I am the media and communications program coordinator of Chaos. I am also a journalist and chief editor of our online newspaper. I have been uh, doing journalism since 2013. And uh, before Chaos, I have worked for several news agencies, uh, radio channels. But basically now in Chaos, I am uh, also uh, continuing journalism, but uh, at the same time uh, trying to advocate for LGBTI rights. Thank you for sharing that with us, Yildiz. It's really wonderful to be speaking to someone who is so directly involved. And so definitely a pleasure to be hosting you. Can you tell us more about what the situation is like for the LGBTI community in Turkey and those defending their rights? Um, what are some of the lived experiences and challenges faced by LGBTI rights defenders? Well, I have been involved with LGBTI movement since 2009. So I have seen a huge change in this time period. And uh, I have seen the growth and the uh, empowering and uh, I have seen the, uh, that LGBTI uh, movement and LGBTI reality becoming more and more visible. And I have witnessed uh, that uh, as Chaos GL, for example, we have organized events in 40 cities of the country, which is half of the country, in 2014. And uh, I personally went to 25 of them uh, cities. And uh, from that observation, there was a huge change in the society towards a more peaceful one, a more democratic one, uh, a more equal one. But uh, since 2015, I can easily say that a state declared uh, a war against LGBTI people and uh, trying to actually uh, stop uh, that change in the society. Uh, now the problem is that a state has a very clear agenda on LGBTI rights, which is being an, uh, an anti-LGBTI institution and trying to uh, just disseminate their uh, anti-LGBTI agenda into the society in every level. In 2015, they have banned Istanbul Pride March. I was there. Uh, I was there as a journalist and I, I was detained uh, three hours before uh, the march, actually. Uh, it was like they have closed everywhere and uh, it was like a war. And uh, after uh, I got released, uh, I got released uh, um, when the uh, Pride March uh, uh, began. Uh, I was reporting to a TV channel and I just said, uh, this is not a regular police attack. This is kind of a declaration of war. Unfortunately, I was right because uh, in the uh, next years, like in Ankara, the capital of uh, the country, uh, they have banned uh, any kind of LGBTI events, including um, movie screenings, workshops, any kind of LGBTI event was banned for an indefinite time period, which means forever. Uh, we opened up a case, we won the case in to, uh, 
2020, but there was a three years that uh, uh, organizing LGBTI events were illegal. So it, it was a huge uh, misstep and in, uh, with the uh, pandemic it increased. Now we see that like uh, every institution of the state is uh, reorganizing itself uh, on anti-LGBTI agenda. Like only in the pandemic we have seen Uh, Minister of Education, Minister of Trade, Interior Ministry, uh, President of Religious Affairs, Uh, the President Erdogan himself, they all uh, just uh, have uh, like uh, um, there was a like hate mongering coming from them. Uh, the uh, politics were very into the media actually like uh, last year according to our media monitoring report uh, sometimes politics is uh, giving directives to the media uh, to publish anti-LGBTI uh, contents and sometimes media is directly saying to the uh, politicians uh, shut down all the LGBTI organizations so in this like uh, last uh, six years the main theme is Uh, there is a campaign saying that shut down all the pervert LGBTI organizations and uh, the uh, like meta themes are sometimes about family, sometimes about religion, sometimes about moral values, sometimes about national values. Sometimes it's about that uh, LGBTI people are foreign foreign agents and uh, they are coming from the West. That's, that kind of discourses. But uh, that kind of anti-campaign uh, actually led uh, to the withdrawal of uh, Istanbul convention. Tell us more about the last point you made. Um, what effect has the withdrawal of Turkey from the Istanbul Convention had on the LGBTI community and how has this decision affected the landscape and affected protections for human rights defenders? Well, uh, like uh, according to our last year's media monitoring report, all these hate campaigns were always linked to the Istanbul Convention, and uh, it was uh, like the uh, the hate uh, discourse were uh, saying that uh, Istanbul Convention is normalizing LGBTI people, and LGBTI people are perverts. They are against our family. They are against our religion. That was the main discourse. Actually, that was the main discourse coming from. From uh, like uh, the uh, high-level uh, authorities uh, of the state too, and after uh, the uh, withdrawal decision, actually presidency openly declared that we have uh, withdrawn from the uh, Istanbul Convention because it uh, so-called normalizes homosexuality. Firstly, Istanbul Convention was giving only limited protection to LGBTI people. It was saying that you cannot discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity if there is a domestic violence. This is just a very, very small protection was there. And actually our demands are far bigger. We demand equality in the Constitution. We demand equality in the every law. We demand protection against hate crimes. But they manipulate Uh, actually all those events and uh, they made uh, that Istanbul Convention as part of their uh, actually um, anti-LGBTI agenda. Uh, even though, uh, by the way, Islam Convention is still valid. Uh, there, there is a, a time, uh, the lawyers know it well, uh, until uh, July. Uh, but uh, even now, uh, the police started to say that Islam Convention is over. We don't have to protect you, etc. We can see that. And that kind 
kind of hate uh, uh, speech causes direct hate attacks. Like according to our hate crime reports, uh, the hate crimes targeting LGBTI people in Turkey, um, the attackers are usually more than two or three people. Uh, half of the uh, witnesses are silent. A quarter of them uh, allying themselves with the attackers, uh, and uh, usually people are uh, if, uh, the attacks uh, happening in the public places, uh, and usually the uh, the victims are afraid to go to police because they know they will uh, get discriminated uh, there, or there is a uh, risk of uh, disclosure of their sexual orientation or gender identity to family. So, in a nutshell, that means. The hate crimes targeting LGBTI people are lynch attempts. So we are living in that condition and uh, it is very dangerous. Like government is playing a very dangerous game and uh, it is putting the lives of the people in uh, danger. And uh, like uh, we have seen uh, a really increase in uh, hate crimes, a very violent uh, like um, images uh, like th th there was a case the attacker uh, directly uh, took a photo uh, I have attacked this gay pervert uh, and uh, the uh, victim was full uh, like uh, th there was blood in his face and he could easily uh, publish that in the social media uh, th 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 that is the, the level of I think hate uh, attacks uh, targeting LGBTI people what I'm hearing you say is that the withdrawal from the Istanbul Convention has actually made things worse for human rights defenders and the LGBTI community in that it's given some sort of validation to hate crimes and attacks not only from the police but from members of the public as well. Yes, of course, it gives power to the impunity regime. Uh, it gives power to the attackers that uh, if uh, the government says that uh, LGBTI people are perverts and uh, then the attackers uh, will feel more powerful because they, they know that like it is the uh, state's opinion on that issue. Uh, then uh, it is uh, actu actually, unfortunately, it uh, directly means that uh, the attackers will gain more power from that. Yes. And how is the LGBTI community and LGBTI rights defenders been dealing with this kind of backlash? Well, uh, firstly, we are trying to protect uh, the LGBTI organizations, uh, second, LGBTI activists and uh, uh, LGBTI community itself. And we are trying to empower the community in these harsh times. Uh, and also we know that uh, we have uh, caused uh, a change in the society and we have our allies. Uh, bar associations, uh, labor unions, uh, human rights organizations, uh, feminist organizations, and we are trying to uh, empower that kind of alliances, even though there are some problems with that alliances, even though uh, still LGBTI issue is not there uh, on uh, agenda, like main agenda, still it is, I think, uh, powerful. And we know that like the last Pride March was, uh, uh, there were more than 100,000 people marching. Uh, like uh, as chaos, as I mentioned, we uh, we organized events in 40 cities and uh, we organized networks in there. This is huge. Like uh, this is uh, this shows that there is a change in the uh, society. Now we are in an asymmetrical position where state has a clear LGBTI policy, but human rights organizations, feminist organizations, uh, labor unions, uh, political parties, uh, opposition parties don't have that kind of uh, organized uh, LGBTI policy. I think uh, we are in a like a cornerstone and 
if uh, we could manage uh, our allies to take uh, into agenda LGBTI issue more and take it into the center, we can change that kind of asymmetrical relationship. And um, this is actually the like uh, fate of all social movements. First step is visibility. When you become more and more visible, then there is a backlash coming. And uh, after that backlash, uh, it, uh, the like change in the society determines whether it will be a more equal one, more peaceful society we will build, or whether it would get We are in that cornerstone and I think it is a historical responsibility for any human rights defender uh, to defend LGBTI rights more and more in those harsh times to uh, have a like a more equal atmosphere for everyone. Yes, definitely. You know, you mentioned earlier the culture of impunity in Turkey and could you tell us more about access to justice for human rights defenders? So once LGBTI rights defenders are, you know, either detained, arrested or charged, how little or how much faith is there in the justice system in Turkey? Well, if you are the uh, victim, uh, there is uh, usually an impunity regime. Uh, there are uh, decrees in the penalties, uh, hate attacks, uh, especially hate murders. Uh, and uh, there are some uh, me- uh, memorized uh, phrases that the attackers are using, uh, like uh, uh, she insulted my uh, manhood. If you uh, And usually they get... Uh, Uh, decrease in their uh, penalties and uh, if you are uh, uh, like um, the system the regime is uh, not, not, judicial system is not giving uh, hope or uh, is not giving uh, the feel of security to lgbti people uh, according to our like hate uh, crime report people are really afraid to uh, try uh, the judicial process uh, but there are some cases we won like uh, a trans woman Hande Buse Şeker was murdered two years ago and uh, thankfully the family agreed with us and our lawyer uh, with uh, young LGBTI association in Izmir um, we, we campaigned uh, about that and uh, the uh, killer uh, who was also a police officer uh, got the penalty which was a, a success so it is about uh, that you have to constantly uh, have campaigns constantly put pressure to have a result uh, from the judiciary system and also according to our human rights report 2019 uh, there was an increase in uh, the uh, human rights violations which were um, the uh, attackers the violators uh, were public officials uh, themselves Uh, this means uh, another thing too. Definitely, and I think that demonstrates where power lies and also the effect of fighting back and to keep pushing for what is right. So, on that note, um, thank you, Yildiz, for having this insightful conversation with us and for sharing what it's like on the ground for LGBTI rights defenders in Turkey. Our next guest is Asri Hantikin, an eco-feminist, legal and policy advisor and lawyer of the Istanbul Bar Association, working on EU and international law and policies, including human rights, gender equality, women's rights, social policies and rights and the environment since 2006. She is the EU representative of the European Women's League Coordination for Turkey, an acting board member at European Women's Lobby, 
and the EU representative of the Women's Coalition for Turkey. She has been working with the principled society organizations, associations and international organizations in the EU, the Mediterranean region, the Western Balkans, Turkey and beyond. With her rich and vast knowledge, Asli Khan will tell us more about the impact of the withdrawal of Turkey from the Istanbul Convention on women and women's rights defenders. And she will tell us more about the landscape for women human rights defenders in Turkey. Thank you so much for joining me today to share your insights on gender and GBV issues in Turkey. Could you tell me a bit more about where you work and what type of work you do um, before we get into this really important conversation? Sure, sure. Thank you very much, Aisha. Thank you very much to you and frontliners as well. Um, I am representing uh, right now European Homosobi Coordination for Turkey and Homos Coalition Turkey. And I'm working with uh, civil society organizations from Turkey, European Union, Western Balkans, and, and on how to develop civil society within the framework of rule of law, democracy, and human rights, and of course, gender equality and women's rights. Uh, I'm a jurist myself, I'm a lawyer um, from the Istanbul Bar Association, but I'm living in Brussels, Belgium, since 2004. So I've been trying to be the representative voice for different women's organizations, civil society organizations, within their work uh, for international uh, frameworks. And Wow, Aslihan, you are doing some really important work for women's rights in Turkey in the international sphere, which directly links to my first question relating to the withdrawal of Turkey from the Istanbul Convention. This is such a pivotal document in terms of protecting women from violence and especially considering the high prevalence of GBV in Turkey. Um, what was the reaction from civil society to this news and how do you see this actually affecting human rights defenders on the ground? Uh, of course, um, where should I start? I mean, the, the attacks on Istanbul Convention was already there since last summer. You know, when um, in Europe and in the globe, when women organizations were tackling COVID-related you know, pushbacks and backlash on women's rights issues, women, uh, women in Turkey was tackling together with COVID's impact and raised, um, you know, gender-based violence at the, you know, in the grassroots and, and at home and on women. Uh, we were tackling these attacks by the, uh, by the government. Uh, yeah. So women rights and human rights defenders who are trying to be the voice for Istanbul Convention are on the streets and they get arrested, they get, you know, they don't, they don't, they have, a, they have such a shrinking space for advocacy and protests and freedom of assembly. And freedom of expression, and this is a direct impact on our advocacy on Istanbul Convention. When we are trying to, when our fellow women organizations are trying to, you know, hang banners on uh, Istanbul Convention, the, the, the banners are pulled down. Municipality mm. support, one municipality was put, um, you know, they were obliged to put them down, and the other municipality support. So we are, we have. Uh, you know, we don't give up. So whoever supports us, whoever works with us, they will they continue supporting us, and this will continue. And we will, we know that uh, there is this type of solidarity uh, shared by certain you know municipalities within Turkey, within different mm. districts as well. So it is very important uh, how women's human rights defenders find the right place 
yeah. you know, find the safe space mm. to actually be the voice mm. to defend Istanbul Convention. Already during COVID circumstances, and before that, as I mentioned, we have restricting environments, and now online and digital platforms are also very important to be the voice, but there is online harassment, there is violence everywhere. I mean, that's why Istanbul Convention was actually such an important, and is still such a very important tool that we should continue mm. applying, as it is a gold standard for mm. eliminating all forms of violence, which mm. also includes, uh, you know, uh, violence on I mean, the irony of pulling out of the Istanbul Convention lies firstly in its name that it was signed off as an international convention in Turkey and that Turkey was actually the first country to welcome this convention by ratifying it. And now, so many years later, um, seeing this withdrawal, you know, does this speak to a broader pushback against human rights and gender rights in Turkey further than just the issue of gender-based violence? Gender-based violence uh, in Turkey as an issue is such a controversy, it's such a big issue for many years now. There is not, there is no, I mean, it's, uh, actually, it, this, this says something about um, Turkey itself. Like, we don't have a real policy on women's rights or women's issues. So we don't tackle gender-based violence in the right framework. Is it? We don't have a policy on this, as a clear policy. Withdrawing from Istanbul Convention is like withdrawing uh, from a universal human rights convention. And this, this already is an attack in itself, not only for Turkey, but for all those you know, global international uh, frameworks for all countries in Europe and in the globe to be very careful about. It's a very big threat and very big sign of, you know, it's an attack on our rights. If that's why we, we have created this global effect grassroots at international level and we are we are happy to see that we have such support at all levels. But gender based violence is such an issue for all countries as well as Turkey. Data, collecting data is very difficult. Mm. Civil society organizations 
framework of Istanbul Convention that Convention. There are so many steps that uh, are foreseen for uh, states to uphold their rules accordingly. And Turkey has already lacked implementation. And having no Istanbul Convention as a reference is already uh, not, a, not a very good sign, uh, I should say. Um, but for Turkey, um, I should maybe give you a bit of background on general as well. Like right now, um, in 1991, we had a ministry responsible for, you know, uh, women, family, and child protection. Right now, like the day before, uh, the Ekaini Ministry has changed its name. So actually, it shows women is women have been disappearing within the governmental, you know, ministerial implementation. Mm. You know, in 1991 we had it. From starting 2011, these structures have been, you know, started to change. Family has been more visible, so the woman has started to. So with the gender-based violence, the mentality is also putting women within the framework of country. So this is such a big step. Domestic violence. When we have domestic violence, mm. it is translated in Turkish, given the Istanbul Convention, was translated in um, violence within family. They don't call it domestic violence either in Turkish. Wow. So the perception of understanding even how gender-based violence mm. within the implementation of bias is very questionable, it's very much should be questioned together. So there are no effective or proportion or you can say effective sanctions on gender-based violence. So the perpetrators are I mean are not scared of mm. you know because there's no consequences. Exactly. Yeah. So this is this is very um, this is very threatening because it creates no safe space for girls or women on their right to live free from violence, and also it is the same for LGBTI plus community. Um, we can also say I mean there are certain you know data that I can easily share with you like World Health Organization data shows 38 percent of women in Turkey are subject to violence. From a partner in their lifetime, while it was compared in Europe, it is 25%. So these are, of course, as I told you, the data is very mm. difficult. There are no measures, there are no quite official mm. data. So this is something we need to tackle in Turkey and in Europe. So, but we already know through civil society, like Morchet, like Teka Devi, also is doing this in Turkey, we are providing, they are providing data, and the relevant authorities, they don't have uh, access to data from their own perspective. Mm. So there's this estimate of femicide rates in Turkey has been tripled over the 10 years, we know that too. So this is also, you know, I mean, we need to be really, uh, we need to understand this framework mm. within all its aspects, and it is very um, there are certain things to Istanbul Convention, there are certain steps that are taken forward, like there is a, there is a Ayo 183 is, you know, um, line that people can call social social services line, yes. but only for, you know, it's an emergency hotline. Mm. So we need an emergency hotline. There is an application 
for credit for women to you know, use and uh, trigger mm. that there is violence, which is done by state But how many women are using mm. mobile phones? And mm. how? And they already know that this application is technically also having some problems you know, on the ground. So this is, I mean, there are certain things that have been tried to done, but they don't have enough uh, coverage for all women and girls or for all people who are in Thank you. Thank you for shedding light on that issue, Aslihan. It's always important, you know, to understand things in context. So my next question is that with the growing women's rights movement in Turkey over the last few years, what are some of the consistent threats and challenges which women human rights defenders have been facing? All the um, gender-based violence that exist for women and girls and all community, it exists for women's human rights defenders too. Because they're at the forefront, they, they try to be the voice for all those you know, uh, mm. who are, uh, mm. who are you know, that we are trying to advocate for. So it is very important uh, to realize if there is no freedom of assembly and freedom of expression generally and also as well as on Istanbul community yeah. as well, all online platforms, all digital platforms are also, I mean, right yeah. now it's an opportunity to talk about that. We can even mm. just call it basically a digital platform, but there is a shrinking space and all the violence that exists online exists on online too. And women's human rights defenders, political you know, figures, politicians, journalists, academics, mm. uh, who have been involved on you know, supporting mm. uh, women's rights on the ground, grassroots, they are being, they have been they have been targeted by very yeah. uh, you know conservative groups. Mm. And the mm. government itself they name LGBT plus communities, you know, as they attack LGBT communities with new campaigns while they say it's not sexual, but no, this is not this, this is they are targeting they are targeting yeah. women's rights together with LGBT plus communities. So we are uh, mm. that's why we are trying to make it more visible. It's not only a woman's issue, but it's not only women's human rights defenders at stake, but also all human rights defenders are at stake at stake. Mm. Yeah, all our rights are at stake, so that this has a direct impact on our While we don't always realize the far-reaching consequences which a document, or in this case, a lack of a document, can actually have on people's lived experiences on the ground. And um, you mentioned earlier that there was a lot of pushback from the international community to the withdrawal of the Istanbul Convention. And working in this space, what do you see as the pressure points for the international community to use towards getting Turkey to implement protections for women again or to find their way back to the convention? There is a very recent law that closes even more the space of civil society, shrinking space, because we have been talking about restrictive laws and legislation, but there is this law, the law on preventing financing of proliferation of weapons, threatens directly mm. to human rights defenders and NGOs. In the excuse of state security, this mm. means if you get funding from uh, an organization that the state identifies as a threat 
or even an international party, they may have the right to audit and check if you are, you know, mm. a threat to the government. So when you say intent, I mean, uh, right now, even this uh, national space shrinks, international space shrinks too mm. for civil society organizations. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. However, yeah, however, this is, this is what uh, I think I should, I think, uh, women's movement in Turkey and in the globe is the biggest opposition movement for all, you know, fundamentalist mm. uh, and, you know, uh, the fundamentalist government yeah. in Turkey, in yeah. Turkey and in Europe. So women's movement in all these circumstances continues to get bigger and bigger, get transnational, international with solidarity. And so we kept growing with this, you know, uh, the within the story of the global, I say, to reverse the decision of Turkey. We continue our internal calls, but at the international level, civil society, feminist organizations, human rights communities have been supporting, and we are trying to, as I have mentioned earlier, and I think it requires testing that a couple of times, mm. we should see this as a human rights mm. issue. Not mm. only it's a woman's rights, woman's human rights issue, but it's a human rights issue. So we have to Continue on the solidarity in all legal and political frameworks mm. to put pressure on Turkey, but also to all those institutions representing the rule of law, democracy, mm. safeguarding all those human rights and human rights, mm. including European Union institutions, of course, the Council of Europe, which mm. they have all these institutions mm. have um, shared their you know support and their statements. They call Turkey to reverse mm. And this should continue, mm. and we will we will continue our campaigning. Yeah. And um, also, the EU accession process is very important for Turkey. Any agenda, any political agenda, should really uphold Istanbul Convention as the human rights agenda as a priority. Thank you so much for sharing all of your insights today. And I think you make really important points in saying that. These issues are part of the broader human rights landscape in Turkey and definitely a situation to watch. So thank you again for, for sharing your thoughts and providing such valuable insights into women's rights and human rights in Turkey. Do you have any closing thoughts before we end off? Um, I think it is very important, right, as a closing remark, we see this backlash of women's rights agenda and human rights agenda in Turkey and Europe. Uh, there are many reasons, but we are also aware of there are certain states that are cooperating at the back. There are blocks of states mm. that are, you know, triggering this agenda of family uh, rights against gender, anti-gender movements, and so forth, attacking women's feminist uh, rights as women. So we need to be aware of if these blocks are getting visible. Uh, you know, step by drawing from the Istanbul Convention to, you know, conservative agendas or like the Turkey case. It is also a reason for, you know, it's a political game to get votes from those very conservative, far right mm. radical groups. Uh, you cannot give up on both human rights or human rights agenda for these type of motives. So we need to get in bigger solidarity blocks that support and uphold you know, international mechanisms 
Mm. Human rights convention. Mm. In this case, Istanbul Convention for mm. you know uh, creating that space for civil society to exist to you know speak uh, mm. with their right to speak, with freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, you know, journalists within their you know their framework, academic everyone is under attack, not only in Turkey but mm. also in the globe. So we need to continue on how we can uh, create stronger alliances and cooperation, mm. action, mm. and policy changes, so reform making, you know, supporting agenda on global human rights and human rights agenda, where restrictive laws and regulations are tackled and left behind. So we need to work in much more uh, collaboration, and we mm. will continue to do that, and we should. We should continue naming Istanbul Convention still there, and we uphold all those governments who have signed, including Turkey. Even though there is this decision, we expect uh, high-level you know, courts to, and the Constitutional Court of Turkey, if mm. it will be filed before uh, the Constitutional Court, to you know, reverse this decision, mm. so that we can, uh, you know, continue yeah. from where we are. But we will uphold Istanbul. Thank you for listening to the Rights on the Line podcast. For other episodes, check out www.frontlinedefenders.org and subscribe on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Music and all other major platforms.